Welcome to the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Comero. And this episode will be part two, a.k.a. the conclusion of the 2010s deep dive. I recorded with Ray Holman late night Sunday the 29th into early morning Monday the 30th of December. So for part one, we talked about the state of the Duke program headed into the decade. We listed and discussed damn near every interesting fact and figure you can imagine within reason and uh, gave an overview with thoughts on the first five seasons um, of the decade. So, uh, now we'll finish up with the 2015 through 2019 seasons, followed by giving our all Duke teams of the decade and superlatives her best and or uh, favorite kind of blank. Uh, much of that is more of discussion than anything concrete. Cause I kind of think that's the fun part of it to me hearing Ray's feedback. Like for instance, well, while it seemed to make sense at the time to kind of stick Luke Kennard, cause since he was the sole two and done along with the one and dones it actually kind of screwed up my team. So I, I would probably end up changing that if it really came down to it. We finish up with some overall thoughts on the decade as well as spend a couple minutes on the potential future. So all in all, another packed deep dive uh, episode full of information with the superlatives more for fun than anything else. Let's get to part two now of the 2010s deep dive. Thanks so much for listening. All right, so 2015, heading into the season, we hear a lot about Quinn Cook and his term uh, banner hunting because Quinn hadn't really, I think they actually lost some, uh, they, they hadn't won the ACC uh, tournament and obviously they hadn't won an NCAA championship, so he really won that banner yeah. because uh, I think uh, nobody had played four years at Duke in a while without getting at least some sort of championship, whether it be ACC uh, or NCAA. Um, it might have been since like the K's first recruiting class. I Don't quote me on that, but uh, yeah, it had been a while. Yeah, I think um, the first thing that I noticed personally is just the clutchness of I mean, everything centered around him, but like everyone had to react. Every opponent had to react to him. He really controlled the action. So he was insane. Tyus Jones is, uh, is the clutchness of that kid is still something that will never quite make sense to me. How he could kind of meander around for much of the game, just kind of, I don't know, not even be involved. And then all of a sudden it's like, it's almost like Rocky Four where uh, he's fighting Apollo Creed. The Russian is fighting Apollo Creed, Ivan Drago. And then all of a sudden, I think somebody says, okay, now go. And he just starts destroying Apollo Creed. That's almost how it seemed with Tyus Jones, where like he's kind of just kind of wandering around. And then all of a sudden, all right, go get him, Tyus. And he just goes off. And it's, it's, it was just wild to me. And you could see it very early on. Um, so uh, Justice Winslow... I, Early on, I also said, like, he's bringing a toughness that I haven't seen really since Dante Jones. I thought that was huge for Duke. Uh, they struggled defending the high screens, as you mentioned, the, the pick and roll against uh, guard-heavy Miami and state teams. So then there was the basic zone against Louisville. I think that has now become legendary. They only played it really against Louisville and uh, Pitt for about a half in the next game after. You got Quinn riding the pony at UVA, again, talking about banner hunting. They lost to Notre Dame then. Rashid Suleiman is dismissed and the eight is enough trends that starts to go and they go to UVA and stage a late comeback. So that that was really big time. And Tyus, just kind of the legend of Tyus right, right there. 
Um, and also, I skipped over St. John's. They trailed by 10 with 8.15 left against St. John's. That was the Coach K 2K game. Then mm-hmm. um, UVA, they trailed by 8 with 4.38 left. Then uh, there's also another game against Georgia Tech where K became the all-time winningest in ACC play. There was the February 18th UNC where they won 92-90 in OT. That was just, the intensity was just off the charts right there. But I think uh, the big move in this season was uh, – so the defense, it was still shaky against good offenses after the Virginia game. So K switches justice to the four, moves Matt Jones from the bench to the three, and Emil Jefferson becomes a sixth man. And it took one game to adjust because they were absolutely horrific the first game when they, after that switch at uh, Virginia Tech. But it came together against Syracuse next game, and really it, it looked pretty good after that, and especially once uh, the NCAA tournament began. So... Uh, yeah, I mean, Matt Jones hit a couple huge shots against Gonzaga in the Elite Eight. I thought that was big. And then there's obviously the Grayson-Wisconsin game where he just really broke out. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, that that Duke team, like, I remember doing recording a podcast before the Wisconsin game and just being just raving about Wisconsin and how their offense was just unbelievable. And then it's just, after all that I'd seen, I just stopped myself and said, you know what, Duke's going to find a way. Like, nothing I can say in terms of strategy-wise, basketball X and O's. Like, Duke's just going to find a way. And they, that's what ended up happening. It's just, Like, this team, I don't know. It, it's just a very remarkable team in terms of no matter what happens, you just trusted that they would win. Yeah, it was, uh, it was a great story, you know. And it started off as a great team. You could tell early um, in the year, you know, that Duke – will play these teams that sometimes aren't so great early in the year as all teams do. And, you know, you, you have to, you have to take level of competition um, for what it's worth. But, you know, one of the things about this team is I don't think they trailed for like the first 10 games or something. Like didn't trail. They, they started off, you know, ahead. Um, they were just doing things, you know, it's always say is even though the level of competition is so bad if you can do something that's so exceptional, it's like the, the the exception to the small sample size thing. You know, like if you if you if you put LeBron James and let him play a bunch of, against a bunch of five year olds, you know, you don't need to see him play for you know two hours to to de- develop a sufficient sample size to say he's much better than these guys. And that's kind of what you saw early in this year. They just did things that were kind of special very early on. Um, they just didn't trail, um, and uh, they played a lot of a lot of really strong games uh, uh, out of the gate. And then they started doing the, the Stanford game. You know, I remember uh, Justice Winslow had a block in that game, where it's a transition opportunity for Stanford. He runs the guy down, jumps over his head to block his shot. Just unbelievable. And the other thing about that, I'm watching that. And that's another thing where you're just like, I can't believe I just saw that. I'm like flipping out. Like the announcer's like, Justice Winslow with the block. It was like, how do you not appreciate what you just saw? <laughs> when was the last time you saw that? So you could sell there's just something special. And Justice Winslow was sort of a revelation because Duke had been recruiting Theo Pinson, you know, pretty hard. And um, and then they went after, I think, Miles Turner was the guy who wound up going to Texas. And so, you know, and then and then once Justice became the target, they backed off Theo Pinson. He goes to North Carolina, um, obviously, and has a great senior eventually in North Carolina. Um, but, uh, you know, he just sort of became, you know, when you talk about the toughness and sort of the soul and everybody had just a different piece of it. You know, you had that great leadership from Quinn Cook where he talked about the banners and finding my place in Cameron, you know, the speech that Mike Krzyzewski always gives about, you know, when, when you're grown and you bring your kids in here, you know, where are you going to point in Cameron that says, this is what I did, you know, and he didn't have that. And, 
um, you know, and just willingly stepping over. And then that two-guard lineup gave them so much flexibility. One, is very good defensively, but two, there were just so many things they could do to create um, space and, 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 you know, create scoring opportunities. It wasn't your, your standard, you know, let's all stand around the arc, the four out, you know, one in, we're just going to stand here. Um, there were a lot of guys who could break it deep or there were at least, you know, the backcourt could break guys down, you know, off the dribble. Um, so that gave Duke a, a nice advantage, but they all had different pieces, you know, Quinn at his, you know, Tyus, just, you talk about the clutch factor, you know, that Virginia game, that, game that they won in Charlottesville that was like the Carolina game I remember at the time you know referring to it as like you know Jay Billis had called the Carolina game an absolute theft the Austin Rivers game I was saying you know it's the son of absolute theft it was the same thing where they're they're losing that game and they're down by 10 and then all of a sudden a couple of shots start hitting and you know and that's the birth of the the Taya Stones nickname and all of that stuff and well maybe it's not the birth that's when it became popularized and you had the the great shot of Emil Jefferson you know on the sidelines uh uh, you know, celebrating that shot. Um, so, you know, uh, everybody just kind of had their own little piece. And Julia Okafor is just the most gifted low post scorer that, you know, maybe the most gifted back to the basket low post scorer that um, Duke has had. Although, you know, you'd have to think about a Mike Kaminsky or something like that. But, um, you know, they just all had roles to play and they all played them very well. And, um, you know, in that uh, championship game when Okafor gets in foul trouble, uh, Emil Jefferson comes in. He's great against Frank Kaminsky. And, uh, you know, everything just really uh, came together for that team. But, um, you know, they really worked at what they did to uh, to get better um, at it. It was very much an earned, not given um, kind of situation. And then, you know, we talked about the uh, the ACC tournament there where they, you know, had played uphill for so long and then they get to the ACC tournament. So the other game was Virginia, but they were the one seed that had lost. The Carolina won, but they've beaten the one seed. So I guess that's what I was thinking of that, you know, now the path was kind of clear for them um, and they let their foot off the gas a little bit, but then they got in the tournament and just played, you know, excellent games. And uh, again, it was kind of like the 2010 team, though, where everybody kept saying, oh, they're going to lose. You know, you're going to lose to San Diego State um, because uh, who's the point guard slaughter or something was so big? You know, you're not going to be able to handle him. And then Utah, Jakob Pertle. And uh, Duke's not going to have an answer for Jakob Pertle. And, you know, and then uh, maybe no one believed in Gonzaga because this was <laughs> this was in the time period where no one believed in Gonzaga to actually make the Final Four. Um, and then I predicted Gonzaga over Duke. I'll say it. I thought Gonzaga was the second best team in the country behind Kentucky yeah. at the time. Yeah. But I mean, Duke played a great game. You know, Matt Jones hit those big shots. You know, Justice had a big three. Um, you know, they they played really well. Uh, the Michigan State game, they played a tremendous game. You know, Grayson Allen. Grayson Allen's emergence actually, you know, people remember him for the Wisconsin game, but it really started that Wake Forest game in March four. You know, he had a huge game. He had seventeen twenty by halftime or something like that against. I mean, it's a terrible Wake Forest team, but it was the first time, you know, that year you'd really seen Grayson come in and play huge minutes. Um, and foreshadowed the role he was going to play. And then he had a really good game against Michigan State. He scored nine points. He had that dunk that's in, you know, the one shining moment, another Duke dunk down when he, you know, goes baseline and and, and jams on uh, on Michigan State. And then, uh, and then yeah, Wisconsin. I mean, that is that was a heck of a basketball game. That was a really well-played, high-level basketball game with a tremendous amount of talent um, on either side. Um, you know, uh, Decker was a tremendous, uh, player, had a great game for Wisconsin. Um, you know, uh, Bronson Koenig couldn't keep up with, uh, Tyus at the end, which worked out for Duke, but, you know, had a pretty good game. And, um, 
you know, it's just one of those things where everything comes together. And, uh, you know, you remember that team for what it accomplished, maybe not so much for the struggles that it went through, but, um, yeah, just, uh, another, 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 you know, order has been restored, uh, moment. You have the great, you know, epilogue of, of, of Quinn Cook, you know, and Quinn Cook get that, you know, famous line, Duke is never the underdog. And, uh, you know, again, just put Duke back on top, really a position that even though they haven't been to the final four since they really haven't relinquished. I mean, Duke has been the dominant, um, program generally speaking in college basketball since yeah i mean you could see it a little bit in 2014 in a sense but i think positionless basketball at least in terms of it being a factor on both ends because uh positionless basketball i think it was a little too positionless when you don't have any front court on defense in 2014 but in 2015 i think beside me besides okafor Guys could just defend everyone. I think especially like Justice Winslow, where he could defend the point guard and he could defend like a big just as efficiently. And I mean, just what he brought in terms of the physicality, I mean, as well as simply, I mean, in the NCAA tournament, I'll say a lot of times they were really, in terms of the initiator, he may not have been the point guard. Justice Winslow was the initiator in half-court offense a lot. Uh So it's just guys could do so much. And uh, and you talk about Meal in terms of what he provided on defense when a guy like Frank Kamin- Frank Kaminsky was a bit of a tough matchup for Okafor in the championship game. But even Okafor, having said that, he made huge plays at the end of that game yeah. with some putbacks. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It was it was just yeah. I mean I mean it's just everyone would contribute and it was just it was awesome. Yeah, and then uh, the other point to make on that team too is just the defense, the way the defense really turned it up. You know where they struggled. You know you talked about how bad it was against Virginia Tech, and that you know was probably the worst game they played all year. It was a terrible Virginia Tech team. They had to go to overtime to beat Virginia Tech. Had a one thirty point seven offensive efficiency in that game, which is just ridiculous. Um, but then when they got to the NCAA tournament, um, you know, everybody talked about Kentucky's defense that year and how good it was, but Kentucky started showing some cracks. You know, they were letting teams over a point per possession, but you look at Duke, uh, up until that Wisconsin game, nobody broke 0.9, you know, it was 88, 5, 80, 89, 87, 9, 89, 6, um, for the defensive efficiencies for Duke. And then Wisconsin hit up at a one Oh five, seven. So, you know, that was the difference in that team was, uh, finding that, uh, defense to go with its, um, with his offensive prowess. And by the end of the year, that was an elite defensive team. Yeah. I mean, the reason I picked Gonzaga is because I just, I mean, I was still questioning the defense that time and I thought it was going to be a really um, up-tempo game. That was actually the game. I I predicted Grayson to break out because I thought he was going to be someone who could run in that game. And then, I mean, Duke just turned it into a slog fest, which is a compliment. I mean, for Gonzaga, that's not how they wanted to play. I mean, they did have a guy like Prismek Karnowski, but in a, I mean, they were just such a good offensive team, and Duke turned it into a crawl, which is per, the perfect way to strategize against Gonzaga. And and that game, more than anything else, just showed me like it's done. Duke is gonna, Duke is going to win. I don't care who the opponent is. They, their defense was just I, I, they locked down. So uh, Tyus Jones, I mean, he was expected to be more than a much more than a one and done guy. And just with the way he performed the NCAA tournament, most uh, outstanding player, he he took his opportunity and went pro. And Duke was kind of left in a tough situation. They got Derek Thornton to reclassify, which was great. But uh, heading into that season, I mean, talk about offensive issues. It became right. I mean, we we look at 2012 with off with I mean, 
I'm sorry, defensive issues. We look at 2012 with the defensive issues, 2014 with the defensive issues, and now again, 2016, it's just brutal on defense. And you look at a team that says eight is enough, that that's their slogan, all of a sudden, I mean, it's pretty much six for, for this team because they, I don't think Chase Jeter was quite ready at that time to make big contributions. And then when Emil Jefferson goes down, they really don't have much. So six most definitely was not enough. So uh, you got uh, Derek Thornton kind of being started and taken out of the lineup. I mean, he started out really well. He was the MVP, I believe, of the 2K Classic. He had some uh, – he had a great performance against Georgetown and VCU there. So it was really odd in terms of uh, his usage. Yeah, especially considering the depth on that team wasn't exactly much. But in terms of big games that season, I mean, the Grayson made shot, travel, fouled, everything versus UVA. Mm -hmm. There was Derek Thornton blocked Joel Berry at the end of uh, that that, uh, Duke-UNC game on February 17th. And then uh, March 9th at NC State, or I'm sorry, the the ACC tournament against NC State, the Marshall Plumlee broken nose game where uh, he broke his nose. But uh, he – I mean, that that kid – Nothing stands in his way. So uh, Marshall Plumlee, good for him. Um, but overall, that team just stunk on defense. And it was – they kind of got some uh, good matchups. They were supposed to play Baylor, I believe, in the second round. But I think Yale upset them. So Yeah. Yeah, they ended up playing uh, Yale after after UNC Wilmington the first round, which was just a race back and forth. So they didn't really play teams in the first two rounds, which stopped them on defense. But Oregon was just better. So, yeah, it was just kind of surviving and being happy they got to the Sweet 16. I'll say one more thing about that team. That was the peak Grayson Allen right there in terms of him at, like, just healthy, flying up and down the court. I still, like, it sucks that he played, had to play point guard a lot because I think Thornton was good enough. And I still, Grayson never really got the chance to play a full season off ball. At that time, his peak I would have loved to see, but even so, he was insane that year. I mean, and Luke Kennard, he had a rough start to the year, but I think everyone, or at least I trusted, that he would get his shot together. He eventually did by the end of the year. But, yeah, like I said, defense was the issue. Yeah, um, you know, and depth really was the big story of that team, just the roster construction. Um, it, You know, it's one of the few times you can look at a Duke team and say, you know, maybe they overachieved by making it to the Sweet 16, or at least the Sweet 16 was, you know, they absolutely fulfilled the ceiling of what that team could be. You know, it's a little uh, bit of a shame that, you know, Brandon Ingram didn't have more to work with because he was a really phenomenal player. I always loved watching him shoot. He had that long, like, uh, stroke. It was like an erector set or something, you know, coming together. And he just, he, you know, it was just, it was a thing of basketball beauty to watch. He shot 41% from three that year. Um, you know, he was a really tremendous player, but they just had, you know, not a lot around him. Um, you know, and this is also the beginning of the, the search for the point guard, you know, and I think for the next three years, uh, you and I and others would, you know, keep wondering why, why are we not, you know, what are we doing at the point guard? What is Duke doing here at the point guard? Why are we forcing Grayson Allen into this role? You know, it's not, it's not suited for him. Um, you know, and we went back and forth on this for a long time. And, you know, Derek Thornton was, was probably the guy who should have gotten uh, more minutes. I mean, I think he was a little bit disappointing from his career, but, you know, in, in terms of that team, he was a very good defender and, uh, you know, you just needed to free up, uh, Grayson Allen to work off ball and Luke Kennard to work off ball. It just, it didn't play to the strengths of that team. So, 
Um, you know, it's uh, it was a little bit of a disappointing year. You know, coming off of the national championship, there was still plenty of glow around the program. Um, and, uh, you know, when you lost a meal, it sort of made sense that, that things would head south. You know, um, the one memorable, well, a couple of memorable games, you know, they, uh, you know, you mentioned the, the UVA game, but that was the year, uh, against North Carolina where they won, uh, in Chapel Hill with five players in the entire second half because Matt Jones injured his, uh, ankle late in the first half of that game. So they played. They only had five players, uh, scholarships players that they could play for the second half of that game. And, uh, you know, as you said, uh, Derek Thornton uh, made the huge defensive play at the end. But, you know, in terms of games that Duke shouldn't have won uh, in the North Carolina series, you know, that one is uh, that one is right up there that the uh, the Iron Dukes um, Iron Dukes got it done. But it was one of uh, one of few highlights um, from that season. And then, uh, you know, I think once they made it to the Sweet 16, it felt like they had done done a pretty good job and you know Yale gave them a decent game in the round of 32 and that was a pretty good Yale team too they were 47th on Kim Palm you know looking at the end of year ranking so pretty good team and uh, of course knocked off Baylor who you know er the reason everyone thought Baylor was going to destroy Duke is because they were so good at offensive rebounding and Duke you know had Marshall Plumley and nothing else in the front court so you know that was probably the worst defensive rebounding Duke team you know may maybe of all time um, so uh, it would have been interesting to see uh, how that would have played out, but um, but yeah, you know they made Sweet 16, and that felt like they 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 hit the ceiling of of what that team could do. Yeah, I mean after Kay kind of for at least a game and a half showed he was willing to try out the zone, I think then all of a sudden the murmur started, and we started hearing things about how hey with Brand with Brandon Ingram, who shame on me, I really didn't mention him when I was talking about the team. Brandon Ingram, you're absolutely right, was just insane. He's like bat wing arms, and we heard a lot, or at least I did about a possible 1-3-1 zone, which I don't know if it even showed up for one possession the entire season. Maybe it did, and I'm misremembering, but the, yeah, that was that was just kind of nonsense rambling by whoever started that. Uh, but it would have been interesting to see because Brandon Ingram, he was a special t type of talent who uh, I knew based on the way he was not used to the best of his abilities, I, I predict a big career for him heading into the NBA, and it did take a while but, I mean, you know what, not even a while. I mean, it's, what has it been, three years? I mean, give someone time to grow. So, yeah, he, he's balling out now. Yeah, and he was also a guy that they got right out from under Carolina. You know, he was a Kinston kid, you know, Lenore County, like the, the heartland of, of UNC basketball recruiting. That's Jerry Stackhouse's, you know, territory. So um, when he committed to Duke, it was uh, it was a little bit of a shock. Now, Carolina was in the midst of its NCAA investigation at the time. But, um, yeah, you know, Duke really didn't pull – uh, kids out of North Carolina, um, yeah. you know, and, and, and he changed, you know, Shavlik Randolph was another, but, um, and of course Jeff Cable going back, but, um, you know, uh, that was, uh, that was another, you know, sort of sea change, um, in the ongoing battle with, uh, with North Carolina. All right. So 2017, I mean, with this, I mean, Harry Giles coming in was supposed to be the next Chris Weber. And uh, it's just a shame because he tore his ACL, I believe, for the second time. I'm not can't quite remember if it was the same knee or a different one. I think it might have actually been a different one. It but was different, yeah. He, yeah. Either way, it was he was just he wasn't ready. I think even when he was drafted uh, with the Kings, he took an, a year off there, and I still think he's struggling to recover. And it's just a really it's a shame because if you've ever seen the highlights of him in his prime, I mean, it really was a Chris Webber type of uh, yeah. skill set that he offered. But uh, yeah, so either way, though, they did get uh, still Jason Tatum 
was a uh, big-time f- freshman recruit, Frank Jackson, who I was super high on. I mean, he came in, he, his words, he really wanted to learn and be developed as the point guard. So that was exciting. I thought even though he's more of a combo, I think they could still really take advantage of his versatility and use him the right way. Never happened. Um, I mean, there was times, and I think he did well when used that way. But for some reason, Kane never quite trusted him. And while I can see stuff in terms of Derek Thornton and Trevon DeVal the year before and after in terms of how their lack of an outside shot really prevented them from being that type of point guard who maybe Kay wanted. Frank Jackson, I never quite understood because he seemed fine. But I don't know. It, it just uh, never happened. So uh, big games there. December 6th, Florida, there was an unreal performance from Kennard and Emil Jefferson, plus Tatum really introduced himself to the world there. Wake Forest on January 17th, Kennard, 34 points, game-winning field goal with 6.6 left. There was obviously the ACC tournament, four games in four days, where Tatum really played like an alpha. Grayson accepted uh, his role as a spark off the bench. And uh, it's still the first and only season the team has won an ACC tournament with a four game, four wins in four days. So uh, I also thought other big games, I mean, Tatum just went off at UVA. I think Tatum was a really interesting thing because Jaleel Okafor, I mean, there there was, uh, he had some ups and downs, but I would still say 90% ups in terms of just how he affected everything. Tatum got a, a really bad rap, and I think it wasn't, I think the fans kind of followed the lead of some of the media who was really ugly in the way they kind of covered him. I mean, there's one specific uh, media person who covered Duke who just really, it was just, I don't understand why anyone would take it as far as they did in terms of the way they expressed how they felt Tatum was selfish. Yeah. And I still say, I mean, with the superlatives I'll mention again, but Tatum, his improvement throughout the year might be the best improvement I've ever seen from the start of his first game to who he was by the end of the year. I just thought it was so drastic in the way he improved. And I think obviously they had their defensive issues as well. And uh, they, they struggled at times. I think they actually finished like three and six on the road. But by the end of the year, when it really came down to it, I thought they actually looked really good heading to the NCAA tournament. Obviously, that could be a bias based on the ACC tournament, how they performed. But I still, they seemed really, really ready for a big run in the NCAA tournament. And then they got placed basically at South Carolina. And, I mean, whoever thinks that, like, I mean, there's been some crazy second halves in uh, Duke's NCAA tournament history in terms of, you mentioned the Villanova in 2009. I think even there was like Seton Hall in the semifinals, in the Final Four one year in like 89 or something where they scored like 55 or something. There was a Providence in I think 97. There was uh, I mean, Arizona we mentioned. This was something else. I think Duke was up something like 30 to 23 at the half. And I don't even think South Carolina scored for the first minute and a half of the second half. Then they scored 65. In one half. And I've never seen anything like that in my life. And, I mean, basically it was a road game and it was just done. Like, it was wild. Yeah, that was uh, – it was uh, it was an unfortunate way for that 
team to end because I, I, I think that team, you know, we talk about did you have a team that was good enough to win a national title? And that team was absolutely good enough to win a national title. So once again, you were right there. But it was just the little things along the way, you know, the injuries, um, you know, God, how many people were injured, you know, in the Kansas game they lost by two points in, you know, November 15th, the, the, the Champions Classic that year. Um, you know, uh, and it was decisions like, you know, we, I said earlier, I think the worst coaching decision of this decade was made the January 23rd game against NC State, Dennis Smith Jr., where Frank Jackson is playing him late in the game. And Frank, ja- I mean, Dennis Smith Jr. was an exceptional player, um, so he was going to do some damage. But Frank Jackson done a really good job on him uh, coming into right about the four-minute mark. Um, a couple of possessions. He had one possession. I still remember right now. He rides him right down the lane. Dennis Smith Jr. tries to turn the corner. Uh, Jackson moves his feet. He just rides him right down the lane, uh, you know, does not give him an angle to the basket. Um, and then for whatever reason, as Jeff Capel is coaching, so that's one of the storylines of the season, remember, is that uh, Mike Krzyzewski – uh, winds up having, I believe, his hip surgery. So he, you know, everyone was injured that year, including the head coach. So Jeff Capel uh, was coaching at the time. So Capel, for whatever reason, pulled Frank Jackson out of the game and put Matt Jones on Dennis Smith Jr. And then Dennis Smith Jr. just absolutely went off. I mean, Matt Jones, for all of his qualities, he has no business defending a guy like Dennis Smith Jr. That is not um, his lot in life. And it was very clear from the moment that happened exactly uh, what was going to happen. So uh, NC State wins that game 84-82. That was a terrible NC State team. They finished 109 in Ken Palm. And that's a big part of the reason why Duke wound up as a number two seed uh, instead of a one seed. And then when they wound up as a two seed, they got shipped off to, uh, uh, I believe that game was in Columbia to play South Carolina. Um, it was certainly in the state of South Carolina. Maybe it was Greenville. Um, but, uh, yeah, you played a road game. It's the only time, you know, you, you, you can ever think of a two seed playing a road game. And again, you were there with North Carolina. So not only did you have all the fans of South Carolina, you had all the fans in North Carolina that were there too. So it was, uh, as, uh, you know, as, as, um, bad an environment as a, you know, supposedly protected seed could possibly get. So, you know, again, just something to remember when people say that Duke gets, uh, all the favors from the NCAA uh, tournament committee, but it was uh, it was too bad because that was a team with a lot of promise, and I absolutely loved Jason Tatum. Jason Tatum was my favorite, you know, uh, one and done of the decade. You know, one of my favorite players at Duke. Um, he just played the beautiful game. You know, I was always a big Jason Tatum fan. You know, um, th- that was the season where he had the the hashtag uh, Tatum Island. You know, uh, uh, defending Jason Tatum. And, you know, he didn't do everything right. But, like, the game he really caught flack for is that Florida State game that they lost January 10, 88-72. You know, he was was taking a lot of shots and missing a lot of shots. But it's because nobody else was. Allen wasn't stepping up. You know, Grayson Allen wasn't stepping up. No one was stepping up. So at least you had a guy who was out there trying to make something happen. Um, You know, and he he took a lot of flack for it, you know. Uh, And... uh, and I always thought it was really unfair. He was a tremendous player. The moment he set foot on campus, you know, uh, his father uh, was a was a very good player. Um, clearly taught him well. Went to Chaminade in St. Louis. Clearly was coached well. You know, he came into Duke as a very polished um, player, um, and you know, I think just one of the the best players Duke has ever produced. So, you know, it was really unfortunate to see him uh, to see him go out uh, that way in the second round of the tournament because he certainly deserved better, but. You know, again, this is another year that's just a that's a what if year uh, for Duke. You know, what if uh, everyone isn't hurt throughout the year? Um, you know, including Jason Tatum. Uh, you know, Grayson Allen was dinged up uh, during the year. Um, you know, it just nothing quite 
nothing quite quite broke right that year it seemed and uh and they wound up losing but that was a team that was very much worthy of being a final four team it was very much worthy uh of being a, a national championship uh kind of team and Again, just uh, a shame that you go back to the same issues where it's about the point guard. Like, what are you doing with the point guard? You're trying to fit Grayson Allen in there, and you're fitting a, a square peg into a round hole. And, um, you know, and uh, and just too bad that, uh, you know, Tatum Island uh, ended uh, the way that it did. Yeah, I mean, when, when uh, Duke played UNC in the ACC tournament, I mean, Harry Giles, what he was, his impact, I mean, if – it's just his health wasn't able to do it consistently, but you could see the potential there. Um, yeah, it was just yeah. tough. And they, I mean, South Carolina was Cinderius Thornwell. I mean, again, besides Mercer, you talk about playing certain teams, which they have a player who can just really carry a team on his back. Cinderius Thornwell is exactly that. And the last thing, I recorded a uh, a solo pod in the summertime where I basically just took the time and went over Grayson Allen's history in terms of his issues. One thing I actually forgot to mention, it's the only thing, I covered everything, but in terms of after this game, where Coach K wouldn't even let him touch a basketball for the entire offseason after this game, just because there's a lot of stuff going on, he just wanted him to mentally be fresh. I mean, this was a rough season for Grayson Allen. No matter what you think about him, there was incidents which are just... There's no way to excuse what happened with uh, the tripping and just all kinds of outbursts and everything going on. And it was just no matter it's it's going to be a distraction for the rest of the team. So you have the injuries, you have the tough situation playing really a road game at South Carolina. And then a guy who came into the season as talked about as a national player of the year favorite who is now coming off the bench and just. A lot of media attention is focused on that, which you don't want. And it's just a whole bunch of stuff. But either way, yeah, I mean, that second half was brutal. All right, so uh, 2018. So uh, now you think, oh, finally, they got uh, they got uh, Trevon DeVal, who, and he's getting all kinds of hype. And I watch him on tape, and I'm like, oh, crap, he can't shoot either. Like, I, I don't know how people didn't really see this coming, but he was still – he offered tremendous value. And you have Bagley, who's just a – Marvin Bagley is a human pogo stick. You have Wendell Carter, who is just a rock on defense, really anchoring the defense. Uh, fantastic there. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I had high hopes. I mean, there were some just monster Bagley games. Bagley isn't the best defender. Grayson isn't the best defender. So that kind of wore on uh, certain aspects. But still, this team had a high ceiling. And uh, eventually – it just got to the point where the team just wasn't good enough on defense. And K, he actually switches to zone full time. I think the first game he did that was against Georgia Tech that season, and everything just started immediately coming together. Uh, the, I mean, the with the zone, you worry about the three pointers. Duke defended the threes really well. The zone just really fixed everything. It, it seemed like at least at the time. So. I don't know. I mean, I mean, as usual, when everything's going right, or not as usual, it just kind of seems that way sometimes. But in the in the ACC tournament, Deval looks like he gets hurt pretty bad. He does come back, and it seems like he's okay, ready to go. And at that point in time, K, it seems like has given the reins to Deval as the point guard. Grayson's playing off ball, and then against Syracuse, really Grayson takes the reins back. I don't know if that was K's decision or not, but it just. The offense wasn't quite as good after that against 
Syracuse and against Kansas and the defense. There were some odd decisions. I've talked about this a million times. Uh, the Kansas game is still the most frustrating Duke college basketball game I've ever seen in my life and always will be. But, yeah, I don't even – the specifics of that, you can hear me talk about that millions of times throughout my podcast history. Either way, um, big games in that season. There was, uh, let's see, um, the Florida PK-80 game. I mean, Bagley had 30-15, and 15, and yet somehow it was more impressive than the stats. FSU Bagley had 32 and 21 with 11 offensive rebounds. As I, as I mentioned, Georgia Tech the permanent zone game, uh, March 3rd against UNC Bagley goes off in the second half, and uh, yeah, I mean I mean the Kansas game obviously that was a standout, but not for the uh, reasons I wished for. I would say I mean the game like the Champions Classic when Grayson finally got to look like the off ball player I'd wished for. He had 37 points on seven threes. That was actually in a game where Bagley got scratched in the eye, I believe, and uh, only played a half. But, I mean, that was what I really wanted Duke to be. And, yeah, I think that was just a waste opportunity. And, well, I mean, with Duke, even if they had made the Final Four, I think Villanova was far and away the best team. I'm not saying Duke would have won, but it would have been nice to see them get there. Yeah, and they certainly were capable of it. You know, that uh, Kansas game, you know, we recorded a whole podcast about how infuriating that was. You know, Duke coming out of the second half and playing the 1-3-1 zone, which they haven't played, you know, really hadn't played all year and immediately give up a baseline three to Vic, I think it was. And uh, it was just so bizarre. Like, why would you do that? And then, of course, Duke was in a position to win that game, you know, at the very end of that game. There's so many fluke things that happen that if they don't happen – you know, Duke wins that game. You know, Svee hits that ridiculous three-pointer uh, in the final minute to tie it up. Grayson Allen has a chance to win it. Ball rolls right off the rim. Yeah, I mean, the Grayson rim out in the window, block charge thing. Uh, I should have mentioned charge. that, but yeah. Yeah, and then that's the difference. You know, Wendell Will only played 22 minutes in that game um, because he had foul trouble, and that last, you know, foul was just an absolute, you know, that was just a horrible call. Like, there's there's no way in which that should have been a uh, should have been a blocking foul. So, um, yeah, so it was another uh, unfortunate uh, end of the season, but they did, you know, they fixed the defense with the zone, so that became the zone team. Uh, the only thing they didn't fix, you know, what's interesting now is um, Ken Palm tracks um, the non-steal turnover percentage. It used to just be everything was bucketed together in, um, like, a steal percentage and turnover percentage. It didn't break it out specifically, so you couldn't, I guess you could, you'd have to do the math for 351 to see where things stack up. Um, so, uh, and that's something we talked about. Duke is always very good about generating live ball turnovers, but now that this is on here, I'm looking back at 2018, they were dead last in the country in non-steal turnover percentage. So when they weren't generating steals, they were not generating, uh, any kind of turnovers whatsoever. But, um, you know, generally speaking, that defense did come together and that was a team again, that was good enough to compete for national championship. Do they beat Villanova? You know, maybe not. Villanova was was incredible that year, but it was a really good team. Um, you know, Wendell Carter was a really good player. Doesn't get enough credit. People are talking right now about Vernon Carey and, ah, oh, he's the best player since Okafor or the best post since Boozer or something like that. And I, you know, I don't know that he's necessarily even better than Wendell Carter was. You know, Wendell Carter uh, had to share the front court with Marvin Bagley. So, you know, statistically, he doesn't always look as dominant as he was, but he was a great defender. Um, he was a good low post scorer. He's not as gifted a low post back to the basket guy as Kerry is, but he could step out. I mean, Kerry can step out too, but you know, he could step out. He had a really repeatable shot. Um, he shot really well from three that year. I'll pull the number four thirteen. So he shot, you know, 41, 
uh, 0.3% on 46 attempts um, that year. So he had a really good year. And, of course, Marvin Bagley was just phenomenal. He becomes the second uh, freshman to win ACC Player of the Year following Jill Oak for in 2015. Um, he, uh, he, you know, we talked about the 30-point thing uh, before, how I think it was three Duke players had done it, Dawkins, Irving, and... Um, uh, Reddick had done it twice coming into, uh, coming into, uh, coming into this one and done era. And then of course, Luke Kennard did it as a freshman too. And then Marvin Bagley did it seven times. So he did it more by himself than anyone else. in you know, the, the entire history had done before it. So, you know, it's a really special, um, you know, player that was a reclass too, that, you know, came in a little bit late, uh, to that class. And, uh, you know, Gary Trent, the professional, had a nice season. You know, he's another sort of forgotten one-and-done player, but, you know, really had, had a big game against Texas and that comeback win um, early in the year in the PK-80. Um, and, you know, I thought it was a team that had just started to grow into itself um, by the end of the year. Um, and then, you know, Trayvon Duval, again, he got back to the whole point guard thing, like he talked about. Um, you know, who, who's running the point? Why are we forcing... Grayson Allen into this role when you have Trayvon Duval and he scored 20 against Kansas. Um, so, you know, the, the best version of Duke that year was the version that had, you know, Trayvon Duval at the point and, um, you know, just never quite got there. Just that, that team never, never quite got that identity, um, you know, with, with Duval at the point and, you know, just kept trying to put Grayson Allen back in. And even at the end of that game, you know, Allen, by the end of his due career, I, I think the injuries just slowed him. He wasn't really blowing by guys. So at the end of that game, that's a classic Mike Krzyzewski thing. It's the balls in Trajan Langdon's hands in 99. It's, um, you know, the balls in Grayson Allen's hand in, uh, in, in, uh, in 2018. And, uh, you know, it didn't work out. Whereas, you know, maybe Trayvon Duval, you know, you let him create or, or whatever. Um, but uh, sort of went back to the old, you know, the senior has earned it and, and it's his shot. So yeah, a really frustrating, really frustrating game for a team that again was a good enough team um, to be worthy to compete for a national title. To not to not be able to get the ball to Marvin Bagley when Azabuki's in foul trouble is just inexcusable to me. That to not be able to find and, and there's there's a lot that's inexcusable about that. Moving on. Two thousand nineteen or what shall be known as the Zioning. Mm-hmm. This, uh, I mean, basically, it was it was just Zion Fest. And how I'll say, like, I didn't watch him much in high school. My first thought is, can he do anything but dunk? I wasn't saying he couldn't, but it was just kind of a wait and see because of how good for him he chose to stay with his friends in high school. He didn't exactly face much top competition in high school. So it was kind of up in the air, at least for me. And... Right away in Canada, it was just wow. And there's, I mean, I don't know if we'll ever see anything like what Duke fans got to experience on a game-to-game basis with him. I mean, you have a guy like R.J. Barrett who comes in as like kind of a made man, and he was almost as good as that as he could be. I mean, there was obviously some issues with him. He played the role K wanted, which was kind of looking for his shot more. Um, I wish Trey had gotten to actually act as a point guard and let RJ play off the ball. But as the theme goes that K likes his wings to really initiate the offense more until this year. Thank God. Uh, Trey has been allowed to actually act more as a point guard. Uh, but either way, Duke couldn't shoot. 
And, I mean, there were outliers versus UVA, and Florida State didn't change that fact. But, uh, I mean, once Duke stopped turning teams over and was forced to play real half-court offense starting against NC State, they were really – I mean, they were a good team, but they weren't a team whose ceiling was nearly as high. And if you look at the games, they weren't forcing turnovers versus great teams a lot even before then. I mean, even they were just overwhelming teams at first, like Kentucky. Like, Kentucky, it was just a perfect storm. They weren't ready for Duke. And, I mean, Duke didn't even turn them over much. Like, not at all. It's just they were able to run off everything. I mean, a lot of the problem with Duke this season is trying to run too often off rebounds but not have kind of guys that can finish at the rim um, against contact. So, instead, they're settling for threes. Last year's team, they had guys who could finish. There's no doubt about that. So, they were just running off everything. But, uh, I mean, Texas Tech, it was just teams were throwing it out of bounds all the time. So that was kind of a misleading turnover percentage. And you look at the rest of the games, I mean, they really didn't turn teams over a lot, at least talented teams, teams that were in the top 50, top 100. So when they lost Zion, they just stopped turning teams over, period, besides like a Miami outlier. And when Zion came back, there was the insane like first 10 minutes against Syracuse in the uh, ACC tournament. But besides that, still, it was just they were forced to play half court. And Louisville, even though that was an incredible comeback, one of the best I've ever seen, if not the best. I mean, they were the first team to really start playing off of Trey, like totally playing off of them, like not even guarding him. So that started a trend. And by the time they got to uh, uh, Central Florida or um, that is the team, right? Yeah, Central Florida. Like and all of a sudden, like the national media started noticing, hey, look, Duke can't shoot when that kind of been the case the whole season. So it, it was, yeah, I mean, Duke got lucky. When you play as many close games as they did and miss as many late free throws as they did and still come out with victories, it's it's getting lucky. So uh, games games that stuck out, there's the Florida State, Cam Reddish, buzzer beater. Even before that, there's the Kentucky, Perfect Storm, Texas Tech, Trey Jones got a ton of credit. I thought Jack White was insane as the alpha glue guy at Madison Square Garden versus Texas Tech. Uh, UVA, mid-range of Palooza, making all the analytics guys cry. Uh, there was UVA, the perimeter shooting outlier game, the next one. Um, Louisville, the zone press, which Louisville acted like they'd never seen, to come back 23 down with 10 minutes left. Awake, uh, RJ hit a, a game winner with his opposite hand, which was interesting. And, uh, yeah, the Syracuse game in the ACC tournament, as well as the North Carolina game in the ACC tournament when Zion came back, hit the game winner, just huge impact. But ultimately, it was tough because the game against Michigan State that they ended up losing, they actually were pretty efficient in the half court when they didn't turn the ball over. They just turned the ball over a lot. That was something about the team which impressed me early on, just they never turned the ball over as fast as they played. Then all of a sudden... They did, and I think that had a lot to do with the fact that they were playing more half-court offense and didn't really – they weren't great at entering the ball into the post. They hadn't been working on that, or I don't know. They just weren't skilled at it. Either way, it it was a tough loss because I think of – you're just never going to have two players as talented as Zion and RJ again. I don't think it applied to the overall team talent the way I think many – try to make it like how could a team that's like they're the best team ever how could they lose I don't I mean just because you have two players that good you need the whole team to be able to work kind of symbiotically and there are still issues and they were never able to find that shooting and I don't know when every game's close at the end 
and you always miss the free throws, you're just playing with fire. I think that's what it comes down to. And it was a shame because Zion was a guy that I don't think we'll ever see anyone with the impact he had again. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, again, a team that you have really unfortunate uh, coda uh, to the season, um, you know, because Zion Williamson was, uh, you know, the most unique player I've ever seen in college basketball um, and just a joy to watch, you know, just a great teammate and, you know, played the game so hard. You know, you can, you can, make, a, you can make a top 10 list of Zion Williamson's best plays and not even have a dunk in it, you know, was how talented he was. You know, that block he had against DeAndre Hunter in Virginia where he comes all the way across the court to block a three, I've never seen anything like that. I don't know how, you know, Hunter was a little slow on the release, but, man, how do you make up that ground? How does a man that size make up that ground and then get up that high and, you know, it was just unbelievable. And, you know, the bounce pass he had on the fast break against Louisville, he headmanned the ball up to I believe it was Trey Jones to finish. Um, you know, it, it just he was just an exceptional, uh, exceptional player in so many ways. And it's really a shame that, uh, you know, his career ended the way it did, you know, starting with, of course, the shoe game at uh, with uh, North Carolina. But, yeah, I mean, it's that team, you know, you got to have three guys that can get you a bucket. That team didn't. You know, they had two guys that could – could score and you know they maybe couldn't even always get you a bucket you know that's a thing you know you and i talked about this a lot last year zion wasn't exactly the guy that you would just say iso on the wing and go get me a bucket like that wasn't quite his game even at the end of the of the michigan state game you know they gave him the ball he passed it back to rj barrett you know was, why didn't you get him a touch well they did and he passed it back to rj barrett you know it's just not exactly his um, his skill set. He wasn't just the I'm absolutely going to be able to, you know, put the ball in the deck and get you a bucket um, kind of guy. So, you know, it was a little bit of a, a limitation in, in his game there, and, and you know, it turned out to be turned out to be a problem. But um, you know, it was a team that that probably should have beat Michigan State. You know, one of the tragedies of that game is that the bucket that broke Duke's back was that three pointer that Goins hit. You know, out of the timeout, and uh, and it was just a simple dang switch that you know Trey Jones and uh, Zion Williamson, the best two defensive players on that team, two of the best defensive players Duke's ever had, just screwed up a switch, you know, and left the guy wide open. That's all it was to it, you know. Clark Kellogg is going on about what great play call it was, whatever. It wasn't really a great play. It just they screwed up a switch, you know. They both followed the uh, followed the screener instead of going with the ball, and uh, you know, gave up that three. So you know, it was a particularly painful way to. Uh, to lose because that was a pretty good defensive team. Now they did not turn teams over later in the year like they did early in the year. That's absolutely true. And they weren't really great about creating those non live ball turnovers. Again, now that the stats are broken out, Duke was also dead last in the nation last year in non steal turnover percentage. So, you know, they were able to generate live ball turnovers, but if they weren't doing that, then they weren't, you know, generating any uh, turnovers whatsoever. And that's, you know, when you get later in the year, teams just don't turn the ball over as much. So you're not going to get those easy transition buckets. So you got to be able to figure out something in the half court. And they just never really did. You know, they had the brilliance of uh, RJ and the brilliance of Zion Williamson. But, you know, at the end of the day, uh, it just wasn't quite enough because, again, they missed a switch and left a guy open. And then when they had a chance at the very end, um, you know, they – had two free throws. You know, R.J. Barrett, if he hits two free throws, that game's going to overtime. Um, and maybe Duke wins it in overtime. But uh, it was a tough game. You know, it was another tough game, too, because, you know, Zion Williamson, he never got a lot of foul calls. But then he got called for a couple early in that game. Duke had a nice run early on. And, um, you know, he, he went to the bench in the first half with foul trouble. And it just kind of got away from him after that. So, um, you know, it's uh, 
it's unfortunate, but they had a good season. You know, they beat a Final Four team in Auburn earlier in the year out there in the Maui Classic, and um, you know, um, you know, put together some some nice wins. And of course, you know, the signature season of of one of the signature seasons of Duke basketball by a player with uh, with Zion Williamson. But uh, at the end of the day, you got to have three guys that can get you a bucket. And uh, you know, the the shortcomings of just having you know Barrett and Williamson, you know, got him at the end. decade team i will say that uh, first i already kind of did this in uh, my summer pod where i did all the all decade teams for every decade during the k era and an all k team this one i made a couple of different ones so i'll start with saying that i can't put Kyrie on there that's just me i totally understand everyone who does if you don't play an acc game that's just too tough for me so Kyrie, while there's a spot many will use for him I, I I do not have Kyrie in there. And in terms of guys who maybe they played like one year in the decade, like John Shire, Lance Thomas, uh, Brian Zubek, I can see how many were put there. So it's just everyone has a different way of doing this. All right, so anyway, my first team, I got Nolan Smith, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, and Zion Williamson. Uh, did you have time to do this? Because I know you were, you've been busy. Do you want to compare? Because I have uh, three teams. So do you want to go – each one, or do you just want to say like what you agree with, disagree with, if you didn't have time to make your own? Yeah, I mean, you know, if I was just jotting it down, so, um, you know, I would have Kyrie on there. I, you know, it depends on your eligibility requirements, but obviously, um, it, you know, I think he is uh, probably the, the best player to come to Duke. You know, he, he and Zion and, and Jason Tatum would, would be right up there for me. Um, so I had him at the point, I, you know, I did, I would put, uh, Nolan Smith on there, um, you know, at the two guard. So I completely, uh, you had Smith at the point, but I would have him at the two, but I completely agree with his in- inclusion. Uh, Jason Tatum, absolutely Zion. And then it depends, you know, again, at, when you get to the center position, um, you know, uh, again, if we're just doing sort of the honorific, uh, top five, then, uh, yeah, absolutely. Marvin Bagley, uh, will be the fifth. And then if you wanted to actually have some sort of semblance of a team on there, I think I would actually probably take Wendell Carter there um, just because, uh, you know, you need a little uh, rim protection on the on the back line. But, you know, I don't think any of those are out of line. I mean, the thing about Duke, you've had you've had such a wealth of talent that it's hard to argue against any of those guys. Um, You know, and there's another five. You could do your second team and almost any of those guys, you know, with the exception of, of Zion absolutely having to be on the first team. And I think Jason Tatum having to be on the first team. Um, you know, there's really a lot of different ways that you could go. All right, my second team, I got Tyus Jones, R.J. Barrett, Brandon Ingram, Wendell Carter, and Jaleel Okafor. Uh, yeah, so I think Tyus, you know, makes sense as the second point there. Um, you know, Kennard certainly uh, viable as the wing there. You know, I would be uh, really tempted to slide uh, Shire in uh, there at the two. Um, you know, uh, justice, uh, in, uh, in that team as well. And then, you know, when we start thinking about centers, uh, on that too, um, if, uh, if Bagley goes on the first team, then Okafor probably goes there, but you really got to start thinking about Mason Plumley there really had a great 2013 best big man in the nation. Um, you know, but, uh, but yeah, I think, uh, good lineup. All right. And my last, uh, my third team, I have, uh, Shire, Grayson, Jabari, Justice Winslow, and Mason Plumlee. Yeah, see, uh, um, so who do we, uh, so like Kyle Singler, I think by the time you get to third team, you really got to think about putting Kyle Singler on there, you know, for his, 
you know, it was two years, however you want to split it. But the guy wound up, you know, the fourth all-time leading scorer at Duke, uh, most outstanding player of a Final Four, uh, you know. And, yeah, I could see sliding him over Jabari. So, yeah, to me, like, he's a, he's a more impactful um, you know, player. And he did so many things well. He was a really good defensive player, uh, played a lot of positions. Um, so yeah, I would, I would slide in, uh, I would slide, uh, Kyle Singler in there. And then I think, you know, at the, uh, who did you have at the point on your team? Shire. Yeah. So I, I would have had Shire at the, uh, the second team. And then, uh, you know, a guy like Quinn Cook, I'd really want to slide on there. Now it, it, and again, it just has to do with the role he played and, and, and his impact on the program, uh, overall, um, but you know, Duke does not win that 2015 national championship without Quinn Cook. I made an all one and done and and two and done team mm-hmm. because Luke Kennard is the only two and done. So I just decided, you know what, I'm including him too. Mm. So I have uh, Tyus, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, and Zion as my first team. I have Frank Jackson, R.J. Barrett, Brandon Ingram, Wendell Carter, and Jaleel Okafor as my second team. So they had two teams of one and dones. And yeah, Frank, I love Frank Jackson, but you can see how like <laughs> having Kyrie in there would change everything. Yeah. But uh, yeah, there's so, so again, Tyus, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Bagley, and Zion as my first team, Frank Jackson, RJ Barrett, Brandon Ingram, Wendell Carter, and Julie Okafor as my second. Yeah. So, you know, I would, might even think, I know his NBA career, you know, never quite materialized, but Trayvon Duval, you know, uh, you know, over, uh, Frank Jackson, I, I, I just, uh, you know, uh, Trayvon Duval just brought an ability to break down a defense and then dish, you know, that I, I always felt like Frank Jackson was really suited to be a two guard, you know, cause he could chew from the outside. He could do a little bit of playmaking, but it wasn't like his forte, you know, sort of like the Cassius, uh, uh, um, you know, thing that's going on this year where he can break down a defense, but he's not so much a playmaker. I kind of felt that way about Frank Jackson. So, um, you know, as, as, uh, you know, regardless of uh, pro prospects, I think, uh, you know, I, I would think about um, uh, uh, putting Duval in there um, and then, uh, um, you know, as a substitution. And uh, and back on the first team, you had Brandon Ingram on the first team? Uh, no, I actually had him on the second team. Oh, yeah. So, I mean, Brandon Ingram was an exceptional player. Um, but well, would you have him over Tatum? No, I wouldn't have him over Tatum. What are my other options? Well, I had Tyus, Luke Kennard, Jason Tatum, Marvin Bagley, and Zion. Oh, so see, you know, Luke Kennard, it's, especially if you're comparing freshman year to freshman year, like, uh, you know, you know, I, 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 you know, you could probably even get away with playing him at the two guard. He was a good enough, he was a good enough shooter, um, and be a heck of a mismatch at six ten. Yeah. Okay, so my all upper class uh, first team: John Shire, Nolan Smith, Kyle Singler, Ryan Kelly, and Mason Plumley. I'll keep going to my second team. I got Quinn Cook. Grayson Allen, Seth Curry, Emile Jefferson, and Marquise Bolden. I think Marquise Bolden might be a surprise. To <laughs> yeah. And my third team, I got Shire Smith, Singler, uh, Kelly, uh, Plumley. You know, uh, really strong group there. You know, again, Plumley. You know, player, uh, big man of the year. Um, you know, Kyle Singler. You know, tremendous career. Ryan Kelly, one of the best stretch fours. You know, Nolan Smith, huge part of everything that happened. And, you know, John well, let's just focus on my, my second team with Bolden. Would you put uh, Zubak or Marshall Plumley in place, Sam? Uh, let's see. Uh, well, you could also have uh, 
uh, Miles Plumley in there too, um, as opposed. You know what? Yeah, I guess you. So I, I would probably have Miles Plumley uh, in there, who played. You know, Miles Plumley was a starter on that 2010 team until they subbed in Zubek, and then uh, you know Miles had another good year uh, after that. So yeah, I would probably think uh, you know Miles Plumley. I actually think I totally forgot about Miles Plumley. I had the other. The original Plumley, you know, the guy that came open because uh, you know I believe he'd originally committed to Stanford, right? Or he was going yeah. to go to Stanford and then. You know, open the uh, Plumlee pipeline to Duke. So, um, yeah, I think uh, off the top of my head, I would I would consider plugging him in. But uh, yeah, it gets a little uh, slim pickings uh, uh, as you as you move down the roster. Okay, now we'll get to superlatives, and because I was thinking like we could do like an all shooting team. I'll say, you know what? If we're gonna do an all shooting team, I have Seth Curry, Gary Trent, Grayson Allen, Luke Kennard. Who would be the fifth? Um, well, Brandon Ingram yeah. shot really well from three. Um, you know, That's you know, he was probably a 41% uh, three point. Shot. I mean, Luke Kennard, uh, you know, was, was, uh, probably the gold standard, uh, for that, uh, for Duke this decade. Um, you know, Nolan Smith, you know, was a good three point shooter as well. Um, I don't know off the top of my head what he shot. Um, you know, Luke Kennard was actually like the mid range master right there. He obviously, he was still great from three. All right, you know what? Let's just do superlatives. Let's do a who would you pick and a runner-up. So I'll say for shooting, I would pick Seth Curry, runner-up, Kennard. Um, uh, you know, I think, uh, you know, if I have one guy to make a shot, it's probably going to be Luke Kennard. Clutch player. I would say Tyus Jones, runner-up, Shire. Yeah, I think Tyus is uh, pretty clearly the answer there with those big uh, – Shots he had to give, you know, Wisconsin and then, you know, the Virginia game uh, as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I would go, uh, I would go Tyus there. Um, I'm trying to think of who else sort of had the, the knack for, uh, for drilling it when it mattered. Um, but, yeah, I mean, Shire certainly did. You know, we talk about that 2010 game, you know, he hit the big shot, that slump that he was in. He hit the three pointer that won that ACC title against Florida State. So, you know, uh, Shire certainly a good choice. Best athlete. I don't think it's tough to have the have the top Zion. In terms of after that, before he before he hurt his foot, which I still think is a problem in the NBA, and really hampered the second half of his freshman year. Frank Jackson was crazy. So I would probably have uh, Frank Jackson as actually the runner up to Zion. Uh, you know, I think it's got to either be uh, uh, Marvin Bagley. I mean, just nobody got up and down uh, like that guy. Or, uh, you know, Justice Winslow. I mean, just the things he did. Again, that block where he jumped over a dude to swat a shot. You know, I think both of those guys, for me, would, would come in ahead of uh, Frank. Yeah, I mean, Justice had a violent sort of athleticism, yeah. which was always fun to watch. And I mean that complimentary. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I could definitely see that. All right. Uh, best perimeter defender. I got uh, Trey Jones and runner-ups. I would have a combination, uh, I would say Rashid Suleiman and Derek Thornton. Yeah, I would say particularly Derek Thornton was very good at that, you know, even though he didn't get the money. I mean, I think there, there's no question that your, 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 your one seed is Trey Jones. You know, he is just a phenomenal uh, defender. And, you know, when he came in and, and Mike Krzyzewski immediately was saying, oh, this guy's the best we've had since Amaker, you know, and that was just unbelievably high praise because you have, you know, a, a national defensive player of the year and Steve Wojciechowski in the middle. Um, between those um so you know and it didn't exactly materialize in the first game or two but uh yeah since then he's he's been he's been excellent and um 
you know, uh, Suleiman was a good defender. Uh, you also shout out to Matt Jones. Yeah, Matt Jones. Matt Jones against a certain kind of player, though. Like, again, that Dennis Smith Jr., that sort of elusive, quick point guard, he, he really couldn't he really couldn't keep up. Um, but, yeah, as far as perimeter defenders, it's uh, it's uh, it's definitely uh, Trey. And then, you know, other guys, like, I always felt pretty good about Emil when he switched out on a guard, too, you know, to, to, be, a, to be a big man. Um, but, uh, but, yeah, definitely Trey. <laughs> Yeah, I, I'm not sure I'd put Emil as terms of best perimeter defender. But, um, yeah, I agree with what you're saying. Yeah. Um, best interior defender, uh, Wendell Carter, runner-up Lance Thomas. Yeah, it's definitely Wendell Carter at number one. Um, you know, Lance Thomas was the, the Swiss Army knife of, of defensive versatility. You know, he could guard pretty much anyone. But, uh, you know, Wendell Carter, um, Wendell Carter for me. Um, you know, Jack White has sort of filled that role this year, the Australian Lance Thomas, where he's, you know, able to defend up and down a lineup pretty well. Um, but, uh, yeah, um, it's, it's him. And then, you know, again, Emil Jefferson, the, the right kind of matchup, you know, he, he, he wasn't going to be a bruiser. He's not a real five, but you know, he was pretty good defender. Um, you know, at the, really the, the, the three and the four, you know, and, and against a guy like Frank Kaminsky, you know, the stretch five, he was great against him. But Wendell Carter, definitely. Tremendous defensive center. I'm trying to find who, who – who is the guy who I always said Jack White is uh, the new – I can't man, David I'm McClure? My, like, yes, David McClure. Yeah. That's who I always say. Yeah. And you always get angry yeah, because – it makes no sense, I, yeah. <laughs> I st- I'm sticking with it. Yeah, yeah. I'm sticking with it. Okay. Biggest improvement throughout one season. This was tough to find a runner-up because Jason Tatum is just so far and away – who I would say, I mean, throughout that season, he just got in so much better. And, and considering he started off really good, that's saying something. And I'm not really sure who I, – I should st- stop saying runner-up. I would just – winner, honorable mention. I don't even I don't, – I'm not even sure. I'm sure there's many who probably – I could think of, but nothing's coming to mind right now. Who, who would you say? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, Tatum certainly, you know, Grayson Allen went from a seldom used bench part to a key uh, player, uh, you know, in the game. I don't know if he really or, improved throughout the season. Well, we I think saw just, it. I mean, something happened to get yeah. him court time, right? So, like, in his results, he certainly improved from being, you know, the other guy on the team to, uh, um, you know, to, to being a, a big part of the win over Michigan State and then a tremendous part of the win over uh over Wisconsin, you know, to go from, I think he had some, you know, DMP CDs, uh, in there, you know, to go from not playing to playing big minutes in the final four is, um, is something, um, Luke Kennard's another guy, his freshman year really improved, uh, over the course of the year, you know, off the top of my head. Now, part of that's probably artificially deflated by the fact that he just kept missing. He had a terrible streak to start his career where he just wasn't hitting yeah. from deep, but he looked good. But by the end of that season, he had a 30-point game. You know, he was one of those first 30-point freshmen. So I think Luke Kennard certainly merits discussion uh, there. Yeah, I mean, they started going in. I always kind of – he looked good. But anyway. Um, all right, uh, best individual game. This is something we talked about before. And uh, well, why don't you just say who, who yours is? Well, I mean, my first thought again was Kyrie against Michigan State. I mean, just an absolutely phenomenal game. I remember – you know, covering that game too, and Mike Krzyzewski in the post game, just you know, just speechless. I mean, in a way that he usually isn't. Um, and you know, he just he just had a phenomenal game there. That was uh, that was one of the best uh, one of the best performances I've ever seen um, out of a Duke player. I think it was 31 points, and uh, you know, just got had his way 
um, with Michigan State, you know, who was it was a very good, very good team, you know, coming into that game. Their season didn't quite go the way they wanted. But, um, yeah, just just a phenomenal game. ACC Big Ten Challenge in Cameron. Um, and, uh, you know, he was absolutely the best player on the floor. I'm going to go with the Ryan Kelly game, the, the Ryan Kelly return versus Miami, where it just I mean, what was he like seven for nine? Um, from three and just can't like it was just I mean they were kind of hoping to ease him back in and he just went off and maybe it's also because of what you look at me kind of fell off after that game but for one game against a a really really good Miami team he was insane yeah I think he had what 36 in that game mm-hmm. something like that yeah all right uh, among three to four year players biggest improvement throughout career um, I, I have, uh, this is another one where kind of one guy, the reason I came up with this is one guy stuck in my head so much and I really wasn't even thinking about a, an honorable mention, but Mason Plumley. I mean, from what he started out as to how he finished, I thought, uh, that kind of many with what you started out the pod saying about how Wojo was like the big man coach and people questioned that yeah. saying K couldn't develop a big man. Yeah. Mason Plumley kind of was who we can point to. Or if anyone even cares to get involved in that uh, debate, but Mason definitely had huge improvement. Yeah, I think you know uh, one you know other consideration there would be Quinn Cook. Um, you know his freshman year, so you know he came off the injury um, uh, in his high school career. Uh, maybe he wasn't healthy his freshman year, but he had a game against Miami. Duke goes to overtime with Miami, and Quinn Cook just goes. You know, take drives the lane, makes a terrible decision, turns the ball over, he gets yanked from the game by Mike Shashevsky and doesn't see the court as much after that. And I don't don't have all the numbers here, but you know, he his star just really wasn't ascending, you know, and he couldn't get playing time away from Tyler Thornton. And um, you know, so he went from a guy that Mike Shashevsky didn't trust much his freshman year that he was having to yank for his decision making to being the guy who wound up being the all time assist to turnover um, you know, ratio leader in Duke history uh, over a four-year stretch. And sure, um, some of that is, you know, finally getting court time. Some of that is finally getting healthy. But, um, you know, he just had a, a really nice uh, career progression from, uh, you know, again, a guy Mike just he didn't seem to trust uh, to the guy who was the absolute cornerstone of, uh, of his fifth national championship. I'll also add in recent history, I mean, it kind of used to happen a lot with the old Duke teams where one guy would just all of a sudden, like, explode out of nowhere like i still remember like abdul nabi like did nothing for three years and in his in his senior season he just like went off but uh i would say nolan smith his sophomore to junior year production was just a huge jump so i would say he would probably be my uh yeah my uh honorable brian zubek another guy who you know health or whatever you know really did nothing for three and a half years and then the last um, you know, half of his senior year, he was, uh, you know, one of the best big men in the, in the nation. See, I, you know what? I will then immediately jump to this. Most out-of-nowhere in-season explosion, Brian Zubek. I will say, like, in a different decade, Elliot Williams is still my all-timer in terms of just completely out-of-nowhere. But Brian Zubek, I mean, with the injuries that had just plagued him, I mean, it was really unfortunate. You're right. I mean, just against Maryland, kind of really – Got everyone talking about how uh, the missed shot, offensive rebound, kick out to three. I mean, that became a whole thing and just changed the identity of that team. So he would be my choice there. Uh, yeah, um, it's 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 good. You know, and I would think also, again, back to Grayson Allen, you know, another guy. And not even the Wisconsin game, that, that Wake Forest game where he scored like 20 points in the first half. 
And, uh, you know, everybody on Twitter is, uh, is telling me, you know, what is a Grayson Allen and how do I stop it, you know? Um, and that was a game where he just exploded out of nowhere. And, uh, of course, in, in the in the, in the the final four, you know, if you had had a prop bet going into the final four, like, you know, uh, about points Grayson Allen was going to score, I think, you know, under 24 would have been you know, would have been, would have been your, your heavy odds. And, uh, you know, he had, he had two big games and, uh, you know, made some key plays and, uh, you know, kind of just, again, popped up out of nowhere. It's funny. I think it's just the way it's worded. We're just kind of seeing it different, differently because my next category is biggest breakout game, <laughs> Grayson Allen versus Wisconsin. So we're kind of on the same page. Here. Yeah. Um, yeah. Grayson Allen against Wisconsin. Um, you know, the debut game last year against Kentucky, you know, for uh, Zion Williamson, um, you know, I mean, obviously first game of the year, but you just really got a sense in an NCAA level of what kind of specialist player, you know, this guy was going to be, um, which, you know, again, remember he wasn't, uh, RJ Barrett was the higher rated recruit. Uh, you know, there was a lot of people who just, who, who didn't know what was he going to be able to do? Is he just a guy who dunks on, um, you know, uh, kids in, in, in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So, um, so that was, uh, yeah, so that, that, you know, I think that certainly again, you know, merits, merits consideration. Biggest X factor, Ryan Kelly. Uh, well, Brian's, I mean that, not, yeah, okay. Biggest positive X factor. I mean that, but yeah, well, I mean, Brian. because I mean, you look at the 2012 season when he went out, it was done. Yeah. 2013, you could see the difference when he was out compared to when he came back. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, you know, I, I, you know, again, Zubek, you don't win that title without him. Uh, Emil Jefferson, um, you know, uh, when he was on the court, you know, you don't, you probably don't win the title without him. Um, you know, and the team just fell off the map the next year when they didn't have him. Uh, I mean, relatively speaking, for Duke. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, amazingly, Duke tended to do fairly well without uh, Marvin Bagley. Um, although I think a lot of that had to do with schedule uh, more so than anything else, um, and uh, and survived okay without Zion Williamson. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, best looking form, which unfortunately never developed into a consistent thing. You can tell this is uh, a category solely made by me. Yeah. Um, I have uh, two. I have Andre Dawkins and Cam Reddish. Yeah, well, uh, Andre Dawkins was a guy that every time he shot it, you know, you, you wondered how did he miss, you know, just textbook form, just a beautiful um, shot. Mm-hmm. That's how you teach your kids how to shoot. Um, just everything looked absolutely uh, perfect. Um, and then Reddish, you know, when it was good, he just he would shoot different ways. He never had one form. You know, he was really inconsistent in his mechanics. But, man, when it was on, it was one of those guys that when he made it, you wondered how he ever missed. And when he missed, you wondered how he ever made, you know, like it just wasn't the same shot every time, which was fortunate. You know, that was the guy that Duke really needed is the third the third scorer last year. And he was, uh, you know, in, in addition to inconsistent mechanics, he was a turnover every time he put the ball in the deck. But, um, yeah, when he hit it, man, when it was crunch time and, uh, and, you know, he stepped into his shots, you know, the, the Louisville shot, that great assist, the behind the back assist. Um, and, uh, I think RJ had to him and, uh, you know, and then the Florida state game, that guy was just a dagger and the dagger when money was on the line. Biggest what ifs. 2011 Kyrie, 2011, I mean, 2012 Ryan Kelly, and 2016 Emil. Well, and 2013 Ryan Kelly. I know he came back, but like the team just didn't, you know, if he didn't, what would that have been? And, you know, what does the team look like if Zion Williams, you know, Zion Williamson's shoe doesn't, um, 
doesn't explode, you know, does it change the, uh, does it change the overall, um, you know, outlook of the, of the team of what they do? Um, you know, other what ifs, um, you know, uh, what if, uh, the Duke doesn't come out in a one, three, one against Kansas. No, don't talk about that game. Yeah. <laughs> what if Duke doesn't, uh, get sent to, uh, you know, if they're not the, uh, two seed, uh, in Louisville's bracket in 2013, you know, some of the things that I, I guess we've already talked about, you know, what if, uh, uh, you know, they leave Frank Jackson in to defend Dennis Smith Jr. You know, how does that year weren't wind up differently because you don't play the true road game in the in the NCAA tournament? So, biggest in season changes you got uh, 2010 Zubek, 2015 with the uh, Winslow, Matt Jones, Emil switch around. Mm-hmm. Um, you got the 2015 zone for a game and uh, 2018 permanent zone. Yeah, um, you know, certainly the dividends from 2010 and 2015 are the most obvious but you know uh 2018 the switch to zone that two three really ch- changed um the trajectory of that team that really made him a national championship contender biggest yikes games 2012 close call versus belmont 2014 close call versus vermont uh 14 that was different like again that belmont team was actually good i mean that was a team that I don't know if they're ranked in the top 25 early that year, but they should have been. That was a really good Belmont team. Again, they finished 25th uh, in Ken Palm for the year. Um, so we all knew that coming in. They were one of those teams that everybody had an eye on that, you know, this team could really do something. Um, and then when they played in Cameron, it wound up being a one-point game. But, again, there was a meaningless three at the buzzer. So, you know, not that a four-point win is, is you know, exactly a uh, um, comfortable time. But, you know, that was like, all right, you played a good team early in the year, you're a young team. Uh, I mean, youngish. You relied heavily on Austin Rivers that year. Um, was a freshman, so you know that one didn't phase me too much. Uh, the Vermont game was a man. We really need to rethink. That was a back to the drawing board kind of win. You know, like even though they won that game, it was like, man, this is not going to work. That was that was you know that was the the canary in the coal mine for that team. All right, one that I'm just coming up with in my head now. Biggest biggest butt kicking in a negative way. I will say uh, the the Ohio State 2012 game it occurred in 2011, but Ohio uh, Ohio State 2012. I will say your birthday game, the uh, 2000 it was uh, this it was 2016 New Year's Eve um, before 2017 when they got stomped by Virginia Tech. Yeah. Um, I will say, uh, and this is pre postseason. I'm saying pre postseason. Okay. Uh, what else is there? Um, I'm sure there's others, but since I just came up with it, I'm not really thinking of it. Um, yeah, I mean, they got run off the court by Carolina. Um, but, you know, that happens every now and again in that rivalry. Um, you know, just before this decade, they had just one of the absolute worst losses, uh, Clemson. They went down to Little John. I think it was 2009 and uh, just got absolutely taken to the woodshed, lost the game by like 30 at Clemson. It was uh, that was one of the, you know, more embarrassing losses of of, uh, of the Mike Krzyzewski era. Um, worst Ken Palm losses, 2010, number 69, NC State, nice. Uh, 79, Lehigh, 90, uh, Lehigh's 2012, 2014, number 96, Notre Dame, and also 2014, number 117, Wake Forest. Uh, yeah, um, and then, that lo- again, that loss to NC State in uh, 2017, the Dennis Smith Jr. game, that was Ken Palm 109. <laughs> Really? Oh, wow, I missed yeah, that. Yeah, um, that, that's how – and that's that loss was so bad. That's what kept Duke off the one-seed line and wound them, you know, going to, to South Carolina. 
All right, uh, getting down to it. Uh, my favorite social media moments. If you, if you remember, do you remember like they did a uh, Duke Blue Planet, the Bachelor Plumley edition? No, I don't. Uh, I don't remember. That was that was fantastic. Uh, they they actually had the I think the Duke mascot ended up losing or another team's mascot. It was it was fascinating. Um, then there was. Uh, I think this is the snow game that you mentioned against UNC in 2014. I think Jabari baked cookies for the students. Uh, well, that snow game was at Chapel Hill, so yeah, unlike he baked he baked he baked cookies at some. Unlikely he baked for Carolina, but who knows? Uh, All right, then two more. Frank Jackson, the uh, 2000 2016 Countdown to Craziness. He did a dance routine, which is just legendary. As someone who can't dance at all, I, I just admire him. Um. In that vein, did you ever see uh, Miles uh, Plumley uh, riding the unicycle at uh, Countdown to? Um, uh, no, I'll have to go back and look. That was uh, preseason 2011. Uh, I was there for that fine moment too. So it was uh, Kyrie Irving's, you know, uh, first quote game, right? It's Countdown, so it's not game, but um, yeah, it was uh, his first night. Yeah, Miles uh, Miles Plumley, uh, accomplished unicyclist. All right, and then I got the my top is. Uh... The Mike Buckmeyer Carlton dance at Countdown to Craziness. Mm, yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know that I have anything else to add to that. Although uh, you didn't mention Trayvon Duval retweeting his own uh, his dunk against oh. Carolina <laughs> and the subsequent pearl clutching that ensued uh, across the Duke fan base. He doesn't deserve to wear the Duke jersey. He plays for the front of his jersey, not the back or whatever it is. But he plays for the back of his jersey, not the front. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, let, let's see here. I got. Uh, well, I should also say, I have my favorite walk-ons. I get Buckmeyer and then uh, Nick Paliuka. Sure. So. <laughs> I, I don't pay as much attention to the walk-ons. I mean, Justin Robinson, though, if we, you know, obviously prefer walk-on a little bit different, but, you know, Justin Robinson has been a real positive influence. Sometimes walk-ons do that. You know, they, they, they apply pressure, you know, to everyone else. They sort of set a standard, and I think Justin Robinson has done that so much so that he actually started a couple of games, you know, two years ago, so... Okay, is there anything, I guess we're just talking about a second choice uh, or honorable mention after the 2012 River shot for biggest shots. I mean, others, I mean, there's a, there's a Tyler Thornton my, uh, Maui scissor kick, scissors kick versus Kansas. There's the Grayson travel made shot, uh, foul, everything mm-hmm. versus UVA. Um, this is the Tyus three-pointer against uh, Wisconsin that essentially uh... – sealed that game you know off the ball screen when bronson canning goes under the screen like an idiot and um leaves tyus wide open for that three you know tyus hit the big three against virginia that year yeah i was gonna say the virginia one is like suleiman bouncing in a three-pointer and cameron to beat uva yeah that that was 17 seconds left but yeah that was huge um what about uh jabari parker with the dunk over maryland to beat maryland the last time they ever came to cameron he dunked over jake layman i think that was I think that was the last bucket of the game. I'd have to go back and check. It was yeah. late. But, um, you know, emphatic. Did, wait, did Kyrie hit free throws against Michigan to win it? I think he did. Against Michigan State? I guess that's not. No, Michigan. Oh, you're talking about in the NCAA tournament. Yeah, I guess that's not a shot, yeah. but hey, still good. Yeah. Um, I guess that would be it. Yeah. I, I know him for. I'm sure we're forgetting some others, you know, uh, uh, Cam Reddish against Florida State, you know, just. Oh, yeah. Bigger. Wow. Whoops. Um, you know, I'm sure we're missing out. You know, it seemed like Cam Reddish always had a three when they. When they... Well, yeah, I mean, Zion in the, in the AC tournament versus Carolina. Yeah. Um, 
I mean, that, yeah. that was pretty funny. I mean, yeah, I mean, every, you know, uh, the Zion getting his own rebound and hitting the free throw against um, Central Florida, right, to survive that game. Um, so, yeah, there were... What, wasn't that wasn't that R.J. Barrett who did that? Was it R.J. that hit, that hit the... Yeah, R.J. Barrett rebounded the Zion miss in school. Yeah, well, whatever it was, it was... Uh, it was uh... <laughs> yeah, and R.J. versus Wake Forest. Yeah. Um, yeah, so. But um, yeah, you know, for sheer importance, you know that shot, and uh, you know, for doing. You know what? You know what shot stands out. This isn't. I don't know if this is necessarily a game winner, but uh, when Tatum drove and kicked out to Matt Jones for a three in the ACC tournament final, mm-hmm. that really stands out to me. It's just a really defining play. Jason Tatum was a great player. I uh, loved every minute. He was. He was a Duke. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there were some. Some big game winners, but it's hard. It's hard to match the uh, the Austin massacre, um, you know. Um, and if you went back to the game, you'd have to look at the log. But you know, the comeback against Carolina in 2015 in Cameron, you know, where Duke was uh, down 10 points or 12 points or something in the last two minutes and came back and and won that game, even though you know the, uh, Tyus had turned the ball over and you know. Um, but uh, I, I don't specifically remember a shot associated with that, but there probably was one. Yeah, I mean, the UVA tie shot, I mean, it's not just that they, I mean, they were down eight with 438 left, but it's like UVA is not the team anybody comes back against just because of the way they play. So I think that added a whole other element to it. Yeah, and they dominated that game. I mean, that was, UVA deserved to win that game. And then Duke, you know, for 30 minutes, UVA deserved to win that game. 35 minutes, UVA deserved to win that game. And then for five minutes, Duke uh, Duke put on a show. Yeah, I think... uh... I think that pretty much sums it up. I mean, yeah, you mentioned the Cam Reddish shot. That was definitely huge. But, yeah, I mean, Rivers gets it. I don't think it's close. Yep. So uh, that that sums it up. I mean, we, we've gone over everything. Uh, is there any kind of takeaways you have about this decade in terms of how it uh, feels kind of as someone who really follows it closely compared to someone who follows it on a casual level? How the uh, – it, it's almost like two halves – that are just totally different. I mean, there was 2010 to 2014, and then there's 2015 to 2019. It almost seems like two completely different eras because once, I mean, Ja and uh, Tyus came, they were like best friends or at least very good friends, and then they recruited Justice Winslow. And once that started happening where players were recruiting each other, it just, as I mentioned before, the floodgates open. So it's almost two different kind of errors within a decade. Yeah, um, but, you know, the constant is that you had a Duke team that was at the top of college basketball almost every year. Uh, you know, and again, going back to where we started the year, um, you know, we started the podcast, started the decade. It was uh, not completely clear that Duke was going to continue to be Duke, you could sort of see, you know, the cracks in the foundation and 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 a potential, you know, uh, change in that team. It needed a culture change. It needed, um, you know, it needed more talent. You know, Duke had always been a program that recruited talent, and you know, it changed with the one and done uh, era, and you know, and 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 it changed before that. You know, because there, there in the initial, uh, you know, era where guys were going right out of high school. Um, you would recruit a player, but then you didn't know if he was actually going to come to campus. You know, like Duke recruited Sean Livingston. He accepted a scholarship offer. They built their plans around having Sean Livingston as a point guard. And um, I believe it was 2005 uh, would have been his freshman year. Um, and mm-hmm. then he decided he didn't come. So then you're in a lurch because they would make these 
draft decisions in June uh, or, you know, late May, well after everyone is signed. So you're kind of just stuck, you know, and Duke lost, you know, Chris Humphreys as well, um, who committed to Duke and then, um, you know, backed out that and went to play for Minnesota. Um, so, uh, but anyway, you, you came into this decade just really wondering the, where the Duke program was going to go. It almost felt like it was at a, at a, at a crossroads because the success just hadn't been there since that last, you know, the great team in 2002 and then 2000, you know, 2004 with the wall ding, you go to the final four. And then, you know, the 2016 was a very good team with Reddick and uh, Williams, but they get upset in the sweet 16. And then after that, it's just disappointment, you know, seven, eight, nine, um, you know, and maybe it's a little impatience on on the side of Duke fans because you know going five years without a Final Four is not exactly uh, the the longest drought. But he came into this really wondering, you know, where was the program going to go? And then it just suddenly changed. You know, the 2010 title, Kyrie Irving bringing something to the team, and Austin Rivers. As much as people, you know, dump on him, he you know decommitted from Florida, went to. Uh, Duke, um, and then again showed that Duke is willing to run an offense to give a lot of possessions to a freshman. So you had the freshman standout, Kyrie Irving. You had the freshman uh, that they ran plays through, um, you know, with Austin Rivers. So it really opened the door that by the time Jabari Parker commits in 2013, the next year, it's clear that, you know, Duke is going to uh, uh, highlight, uh, you know, freshman talent. And then that paves the way for 2014 and then 2015 and where we are now. So, you know, I think it's just uh, we came into the decade wondering where the Duke program was going to go, and we leave the decade with you know Duke on top. And you know the you're you're talking about just quote just two Final Fours, but um, you have a program that is consistently excellent every year, that is consistently um, at the top of the rankings, that is consistently recruiting well. Um, so you feel really strong about the Duke program, uh, you know, above and beyond um, anything else. So you know, I think it's a really positive decade for duke in that respect who's your player of the decade uh zion williamson i mean in terms of it's i mean it's so hard to pick anyone but yeah i mean he's just he's he's an outlier in in every sense of the word i mean he's phenomenal uh you you know we haven't seen anything like him we went into the year hoping he would be rodney rogers and he was rodney rogers with you know a, a better version of rodney rogers um you know so uh yeah i don't see how you go anywhere else now if you talk about influential players players who define the decade i think you go nolan smith and and uh quinn cook those two guys did so much to change the culture of duke to establish re-establish the um standards uh of duke basketball um you know they were just absolutely instrumental in, in all of that um you know and then again jabari parker with his commitment sort of making duke a destination again um but uh, yeah in terms of you know just on court player um zion williamson i mean you could you could very well make the argument he's the best player that ever played for duke that that's i mean i guess best in terms of talent yeah yeah i mean obviously in terms of overall resume you're never going to beat later and you know who else starts in four final fours you know wins two of them hits the biggest shot in college basketball history um you know and and is a tremendous player in his own right but um you know, just in terms of you know the best player to suit it up. I mean, he, I mean, yeah, he had two shots to get into the final four, they, including the UConn one. Yeah, which by the way was supposed to be shot by your boy Abdulnabi, who uh, you know had a nice career in and of himself. He just had the misfortune of you know being behind Danny Ferry for the first couple of years, and then uh, you know uh, freshman uh, Christian Leitner that year. But um, 
Yeah, he was, uh, you know, there's a tremendous player. I mean, Grant Hill, uh, you know, tremendous player. So, you know, I'm not saying that Zion Williams is absolutely the answer, but you can very credibly make an argument for him. Oh, yeah, I totally understand. Uh, I'll say my my favorite under-the-radar highlight, craziest, is uh, it's just totally random. It's not about importance of any kind. Eastern Michigan last year, there was, I think, Jack White – he uh, he outlets to Trey, but it's off target. Trey's heading out of bounds to try to get the ball. And as he's about to step out of bounds, he takes it in one motion, throws it over his shoulder. It's still the most amazing alley-oop pass I've ever seen. And Zion's there to, to slam it home. It's like, it's wild. Like against Eastern Michigan, it's, I can't even explain it. I mean, I think whoever... Look it up on YouTube. It's it's just crazy. That's something that always struck me. All right. So uh, besides that, if you're, if you're going to say what is uh, what is your all-decade game, if you cannot say anything in the postseason? Uh, if I can't say anything in the postseason, um, I mean the game that you know the the things I'll, I I watch again like uh, the Kyrie. Uh, effort against Michigan State, just because Kyrie was phenomenal. Um, the end of the Austin Massacre, uh, the last three minutes of that game, you know, Carolina, Duke played a pretty good first half in that game, um, but then Carolina started pulling away, and they really deserved to win it. Um, the 2015 game at UVA was really high-level basketball, really good game. Um, um, you know, the the sheer guilty pleasure of it, 82-50 against Carolina in 2010. Um, not not the highest level basketball, but, uh, but uh, you know, it was a huge route for Duke. And uh, you can see me courtside sitting in the center of uh, press row. Um, so, uh, you know, uh, I'm sure I'm missing something else. You know, I mean, the Florida State game last year was, was uh, you know, you know, nice comeback and uh, wanted at the buzzer. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is all how whoever's answering frames in their mind. I mean, because some people are going to pick, like, comebacks, like like the Louisville yeah, or, or, or the NC State with Rivers. Some people are going to pick, like, the biggest moments. I mean, that's why I said, like, if I was just going to say pick your best game, it's everyone's going to pick either Wisconsin or Butler. And others, it's just going to be, like, kind of a personal thing. Like, for me... I don't even know how to explain it, but maybe it's because I was watching in a bar in North Carolina with nothing but Duke and Carolina fans, and everyone's going crazy. And the and the way Duke won the 2011 ACC tournament final, I just I, I can't remember ever feeling like that. Just in terms of like, holy crap, this team is just they have it, and then they didn't. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, they struggled reintegrating uh, Kyrie. But, uh, yeah, I mean, by the end of the year, that was a great team. You know, that comeback that year against – if we're just talking about regular season, you know, that comeback against Carolina where uh, Nolan Smith just went off in the second half was uh, was something. Um, All right, do you, do you have a best player or best moment? I guess, I mean, Rivers would be the, the obvious I guess. I mean, if we're talking just regular season. But, again, that Zion Williamson block on DeAndre Hunter, I've never seen anything like that, man. Like, you know, a high-level game, uh, playing at the eventual national champions, comes all the way from the top of the key on the right side, all the way down to the baseline wing uh, to get over there and block the three-pointer. I mean, I've just never seen that against a lottery pick, you know? Like, this isn't, this isn't uh, um, you know, some scrub – 
uh, you know, bench player jacking up a three is DeAndre Hunter. So that was uh, unbelievable. Um, he, he wouldn't pick when he uh, tomahawked on uh, Jay Huff. <laughs> uh, yeah, that was pretty good. Um, you know, Jason Tatum uh, dunking on Kennedy Meeks was uh, very enjoyable. That was. Do you remember when Bagley Bagley missed? I don't know if it was a free throw or a missed shot, but like it hit almost the top of the backboard, came down, and he just like dunked over everyone. I think that was against UNC. That was. Wild. Yeah, uh, the Harry Giles block and dunk, you know, against UNC. Uh, that's ACC tournament, so I guess that, you know, outside of. You know what? That's fine. You can include. Posters but yeah, that was uh, that was uh, that was uh, that was a heck of a sequence. You know, it's it you know the most memorable moment Harry Giles had at Duke. I, of course, because it's me, I'm gonna I'm gonna pick the most important, most crucial moment of the decade is when Jack White dunked on Marvin Bagley. <laughs> Do you remember Not that? Not quite. No, sorry. Really? Oh, Ooh, yeah. it's great. I, I think it's Notre Dame where they're both going up for the offensive rebound. Yeah. Bag Bagley is about to jam at home, and Jack White just kind of goes above him, which is almost impossible to think about. And he dunks, and it really looks like if you watch the replay, it looks like he dunks on Marvin Bagley. Yeah. It's, Fantastic. Uh, oh, and Justice Winslow, we mentioned it earlier, but that where he jumped over the Stanford player to block his shot. I mean, that is just that was freakish athleticism, um, you know, on display. So I'm sure there's some others. Uh, you know, anytime Zion got open in the uh, in the court in the open court, that was uh, that was always something you had to stop and watch. Yeah, I mean, Grayson had an and one versus Wisconsin that was pretty special, along yeah. with what you mentioned before, the Michigan State when Based. he missed the three, followed yeah. it with a dunk. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it is a lot of a lot of great plays. Of course, the you know the shot against UVA that we've talked about. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's a lot of a lot of great moments this decade. If I'm gonna pick one, or if I'm gonna pick a runner up, because I mean, I still think it's probably Rivers. Yeah. Um, I don't. I think it's Tyus versus uh, UVA. Yeah, that's something about the, just the beauty of it. Yeah, it was. Uh, it was you know, and then the, the way the team was celebrating on the sideline too. Um, was that when uh, Quinn rode the pony? I, you know, I remember Emil Jefferson uh, signaling that uh, Tyus Stones had stones, is what I remember there. Um, I think Quinn was on the court then, but it, it, it might have been, you know, at the same time. So. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a lot of uh, a lot of a lot of great moments. You know, it, it, Grayson had a great breakaway dunk against Notre Dame and Cameron one year um, that stands out. Um, and I'm sure we're missing. I'm sure we're missing other things. All right, I think I, I think I tried to nickname Trey Pebbles when when he came to dig. That never quite worked. Yeah, out. but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I think that, I think that covers it. We have gone through everything, and hey, we, there's only one time you get to do these per decade. So I appreciate you spending time with me to just go over all all the interesting stuff. I mean, the crazy thing is that I'm sure we st- we forgot a bunch. I mean, that's how much went on this decade. It was, I mean, when you talk about the '80s, the '90s, and the 2000s. I mean, there are obviously things that changed during the decade, and there were adjustments made, but I don't think anything will come close to just how how how, how much adapt, adapting needed to be made along along with uh, along the run in this uh, in the 2010 decade. I just think stuff was changing so drastically, and you think of how recruiting changed. You think of how the pick and roll game has changed. You think about how everything is more three point reliant now. And but uh, yeah, I mean, just ev- there's so much adapting. To everything going on. That's why I said, like, uh, 
Jeff Capel, I think, was had a huge impact. You said, uh, I mean, Quinn Cook, halfway through the decade, he had a huge impact. Uh, you talk about uh, the social media impact and just everything. It's been a pretty wild decade. So Coach K, he is obviously in the twilight of his career. We would like to imagine it'll keep on going forever. But uh, I would say just kind of appreciate what's going on now. It's been a hell of a decade. It's an interesting season currently. So uh, can you give me one sentence to sum up your thoughts on the decade or is that too much? <laughs> I mean, I think it goes back to, you know, what I said earlier, you know, it's it's almost like the 2010 thing. Order has been restored. You know, Duke is at the top again, um, you know, which is just it wasn't clear at the end of the decade, you know, so it was uh, unclear where Duke would go. And as, as you go into 2020, you know, Duke is the dominant program in college basketball again. Is there is there anything uh, you think about when uh, 2022, as I said, they haven't officially made the rule change, but. Is there is there anything you're thinking about how in terms of how K will adapt if that'll be the time when another person takes over the reins of Duke or uh, should we just kind of end this now with with how the 2010 how the 2010s ended and worry about the future at another time like normal people? Yeah, I mean uh, the first thing to know about you know one and dones it won't be the end of one and dones you know even when players could go directly from uh, high school to uh, the NBA, you still had one and done. You had your Carmelo Anthony's and players like that who, um, you know, had that great year and then moved on. And you're still going to have that. So, you know, all this uh, pearl clutching and hand wringing about we don't get to know the players and all this sort of stuff, like it's still going to happen. Um, you won't have the, you know, top level of talent in college basketball, which I think is a negative uh, for us. You know, I've always been of the opinion that I like it when the best talent plays our game. Um, you know, it's almost hard, you know, it's hard to imagine, you know, a, a Duke without Zion Williamson as part of its story now, even though it was only one year, it was, it was such a big chapter or, you know, Jason Tatum or, or, or whoever, um, it may be. Um, but, uh, you know, we'll see how the rules work out because I, you know, the last time it, when this, um, you know, when players were allowed to go directly, it just, it introduced a lot of confusion in the game. Now it's great for the players. Look, they should be able to do what they want to do. I don't want to, you know, uh, sound like I'm uh, trying to uh, force them into a path they don't want to choose. But as a fan of the game, when you think about it from the perspective of college basketball, um, it introduces a lot of uncertainty into um, the way you recruit. And it, it just happens. You recruit the best players they are on the fence about going. And, uh, you know, you don't find out until, you know, May when they declare for the NBA draft. And all of a sudden your, you know, player you're counting on for the next year isn't there. So, you know, uh, there, there's going to be challenges with it. Um, but, you know, I imagine Duke will figure out a way, um, you know, uh, but you are going to have bumps along the road where you have, you know, you, you have a guy like Luol Ding, he shows up on campus. You have a guy like Sean Livesey, and he doesn't show up on campus. So, um, you know, I'm sure Duke will get more sophisticated uh, in their evaluation here and, uh, and, and they'll be able to adapt. That's been the one constant, you know, since uh, – since uh, Mike Krzyzewski has been here, is he's been able to adapt with the times and stay current and stay on top of things. So I'm sure that will uh, that will happen. But you know, I think for college basketball, it is generally a negative um, because I think it's college basketball is in, at its best when the best players play our game. Well, this is great. I mean, just being able to record with you, going over kind of a uh, a non-conference. Uh, actually, no, I want this to be timeless. So I don't even want to mention the last pod, but I appreciate you spending uh, your time with me going over the last decade because, like I said, it's been a hell of a decade. And as someone who pays 
attention to all the details like yourself. I think uh, your input was uh, huge, and I appreciate that. So I will be back with the normal episodes where no, no marathons, no more marathons until it gets closer to the NCAA tournament, and then obviously in the summer. But for, for uh, the normal episodes, they will be just kind of giving straightforward information with some entertainment value, and this was a lot of fun to do, though. So this has been the deep dive into Duke in the 2010s. It's been a hell of a decade, including the Zioning. And I have been joined by Ray Holloman. Thanks again, Ray. I'm Adam Comroe. Again, list, rate, review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts or whatever it's called if you enjoy. There's not many, if any, who will go through all the details like this. Hopefully everyone enjoyed who listened. So, for the Duke Basketball Corner Podcast, thanks so much. I'll be talking to you soon. <laughs>